want to greet each one of you in Jesus' name this morning. It's good to be here. We're having a special service commemorating Christ's suffering, his sacrifice for us. And this morning, I'd, the message that I'm sharing is out of Hebrews 3. And I'd like it for it to be a message of adoration, a message of us just taking time to really focus on our Savior. I walked into a business here yesterday, no, not yesterday, Friday, and there was a uh, young man, well, he's about my age, I guess he's still young, in behind the desk, he's a man I knew, have known for some time, we've run into each other, he worked for a contractor here in Lynchburg, was uh, this contractor's right-hand man, and then when they Recession hit, he got a, a, a job in at Boxley. And uh, just a very nice young fellow, but I, I, didn't, I don't know him very well. But anyways, I walked in the door, and he was, uh, I saw him behind the desk there, and he had his head down like this, and his hands over his ears. And he looked like he was having a migraine and trying to get it away or something like that. I was a little bit worried about him, so I, uh, I asked the lady there, Tammy, I said, uh, what's up with John? I said, is he having a brain freeze or, you know, what's, and she said, no, he's asking his blessing. And it kind of took me back. And I said, uh, I wasn't quite sure what she said, actually. And she said, no, he's asking, he's asking a blessing on his food. So I felt kind of bad then. And because I disrupted him, I felt probably, he probably heard through his even threw his hands over his ears. Um, but it blessed me seeing this man that I didn't even know. He was a very, seemingly a very nice and seemed like a godly sort of character, but I didn't know that. But here he was behind the desk there, and he was asking the blessing on his food in a very public way. He wasn't trying to be public, but he was. Um, and I'd like for that to be, I guess, us here this morning. Not our hands over our ears, but maybe our hands over the noises around us. And just be focused here on Christ in a worshipful way. Um, I know it's hard for me to, to push away the things of life, the things of this world, and just really focus. But I pray that we can do that here this morning. Hebrews 3 verse 1. And I'm going to read the entire chapter. I'll be reading um, a lot uh, out of Old Testament as well, so just hang on, follow along, and let's see what God has for us. Hebrews 3, verse 1. Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him that appointed him, as also Moses was faithful in all his house. For this man was counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who has builded the house hath more honor than the house. For every house is builded by some man, but he that built all things is God. And Moses verily was faithful in all his house as a servant for testimony of those things which were to be spoken after. But Christ as a son over his own house, whose house are we, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end, Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith, Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts, as in the provocation, in the day of temptation in the wilderness, when your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works forty years. Wherefore, I was grieved with that generation, and said, They do always err in their heart, and they have not known my ways. So I swear in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. Take heed, brethren, lest there be any of you, in any of you, an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God, but exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. Whilst it is said today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation for some when they had heard, did provoke. Albeit not all that came out of Egypt by Moses, but with whom 
was he grieved 40 years? Was it not with them that had sinned, whose carcasses fell in the wilderness? And to whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest, but to them that believe not? So we see that they cannot enter in because of unbelief. And it goes on through 4 verse 13, speaking of entering into the rest. I'd like to, uh, when we're thinking of Hebrews, I'd like to think a little bit about the overview of Hebrews. Hebrews was written to show the supremacy of Christ. And it's articulated, or it's the presentation is made out of the Old Testament, the supremacy of Christ out of, from the Old Testament. And I believe that the writer here, which I think is probably Paul, I think he was, I believe he was addressing the Hebrews, the Israeli people, and making it clear to them that Christ is superior to their prophets, he's superior to the angels, he's superior to Moses, which was the mediator of the old covenant, and to Aaron and the priestly succession. He's superior to all of those. And Hebrews is also called the book of better things. It shows how much better the new covenant is than the old. But this chapter here focuses on Moses. And if there was ever a person in Hebrews or in Israeli history um, that was truly the man, it's Moses. Um, Christ being greater than Moses, and I believe that the writer here is, is addressing the believing Jews, telling them not to slip back into Judaism and into the, the uh, observance of the Old Covenant law. Um, he's addressing the Hebrews that aren't believers and saying, in urging them to consider Jesus, which is the title of the message, Consider Jesus. And uh, he's, ur he's urging those that are maybe in between, not sure. He's urging them to really look at Jesus as from the Old Testament view and see how much greater he is than, than, the, uh, than their Old Testament figures. So here in this Verse 5, he says, Moses indeed was faithful in all his house, and uh, Christ was faithful in his, but Christ, as it says in verse 3, is counted worthy of more glory than Moses inasmuch as he built the house. He's the builder of the house. Well, these, I believe, these words for the Jews were fighting words. You know, who could be greater to them than their forefather Moses? It was under Moses' guidance and his direction they had been delivered from the cruel bondage of slavery in Egypt. It was Moses who delivered to them the Ten Commandments, you know, which showed them the holy requirements of God. It was Moses who delivered, it was Moses who delivered to them the sacrificial law, uh, the sacrifices if, that if they obeyed. Uh, would grant the, the earnest Jew the continuing goodwill of God and grant him forgiveness based on, of course, what we know, Christ's sacrifice. It was uh, Moses who was commander of, the, of that first Israeli army, military, the little ragtag group of people, actually a big group of people that came out of Egypt. He was director of the priest. He was judge of the people and mediator for the people between them and God. He was intercessor to them. And Moses was the face of God, I believe, to the Israelites. Just something to consider. You know, after Aaron's two sons, which Aaron was Moses' older brother, I believe that's, he was older. After his two sons, Nadab and Abihu, they were doing the priestly duty. They were killed for the disobedient and careless observant of their, of their duties, offering, offering uh, unholy fire. Um, it was Moses that made the following statement to Aaron, their father. And I find this interesting because, you know, here we have two young men that were struck down, sons of, sons of the, the priest, and they're there. They're dead. God had struck him down for offering this fire. 
And Moses says this, this is it that the Lord spake, saying, I will be sanctified in them that come nigh to me, and before all the people I will be glorified. And I believe it's significant that Aaron held his peace. Um, if you're a father and you have young sons or a mother, uh, you can only imagine what grief must have been going through Aaron's mind, what unbelief must have been going through his mind, seeing his two boys die there. You know, maybe he was thinking, really, that wasn't so bad. Really, they didn't really know what they were doing. Uh, you know, and many other thoughts could have been going through his mind. And Moses made this statement, and Aaron held his peace. And they didn't mourn him. Moses, Moses uh, commanded them not to mourn uh, for their deaths. And they did this without a murmur. This is the kind of respect that Moses held in front of the Israelite people. Of course, we know there were insurrections as well. But, but this respect that came from Moses having a true relationship with God and, and then ministering to the people uh, was what's so significant. And his faithful leadership made, made a deep and enduring impression on the Jewish people. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then Joseph, they were patriarchs. They were the fathers of the Jewish people. But again, I say Moses was quite literally the face of God to them. You know, I don't know. Later on, we read in, in the New Testament, Jesus is, is talking uh, with the Jews and he's explaining to them who he is and so forth. And they ask for a sign and he says, and, and they said, our fathers gave us bread in the wilderness. Of course, Jesus tells them that, no, it wasn't your fathers, it was God, it was me. Um, but I believe that demonstrates or shows us how much of, the, of a face of God that Moses was to the Israelite people. I don't know really if when they thought about crossing the Red Sea and, and the many other things that took place, I don't know if they really you know, made the connection that, that Moses was a servant. It wasn't him doing these things. I'm not sure. So these were, I believe, fighting words to me of the Jews. Christ is greater than Moses. Hebrews 3, verse 5. Moses, was indeed, or Moses indeed was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which would be spoken of afterward. Moses was a faithful leader. He was humble. Numbers 12, 3 says Moses was very meek above all the men which were on the face of the earth. And this was speak in relation to the time when Miriam and Aaron rose up and said, you know, God can speak through us as well. And, and God um, punished them for that, brought leprosy upon Miriam. Moses stood up to Pharaoh. He parted the Red Sea, organized a march through the desert, caused water to come from a rock, brought quail in to feed the multitudes of people. But he stood meek, and humble before his God. He understood his relationship to God. He humbly served God and his people. And I think Exodus, if we look in Exodus 32, it gives us a very good synopsis of Moses' character. He was upright. And I'd like to turn to Exodus 32. <clears throat> and look at that a little bit. This is the account when He came down from the mountain and found the uh, children of Israel dancing around the golden calf. You know, think of him. He had been up on that mountain. I believe it was about 40 days. And he had been communing with God. God had written with his own hands the Ten Commandments on the tablets of stone. And I would have liked to see that handwriting. I believe it must have been beautiful handwriting, divine handwriting. And so he was in his own big world with God. And it's not little world, this is a big world with God. And he 
is, you know, coming down. But first of all, God had something to say. Um, and I'd just like to quickly read through this chapter. I just think it gives us such a good look, insight into Moses and the people. Exodus 32, when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mount, the people gathered themselves together unto Aaron and said to, to him, Up, make us God, which, gods which shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man that brought us out of the land of Egypt, we want not what has become of him. And Aaron said to them, Break off the golden earrings which are in the ears of your, ears of your wives, of your sons and your daughters, and bring them to me. And all the people break off the golden earrings which were in their ears and brought them unto Aaron. He received them at their hand. And he fashioned and fashioned it with a graving tool after he made it a molten calf. And they said, These be the gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. How ludicrous. And when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early on the morrow and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and to drink and rose up to play. And the Lord said unto Moses, so now we have this play here on the earth. The people of Israel, they've made a molten, they've made a molten calf, a cast image of a calf. And they said, this be the God that brought us out of Egypt. And then we have this scene up in heaven that's taking place. And they're getting ready to dance and worship this thing and say, it, you know, it's their God. And then we have the scene in heaven. The Lord said unto Moses, Go get thee down for the people which thou broughtest out of the land of Egypt. I said out of heaven. It was a heavenly scene, but maybe on this earth. Which thou broughtest out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have made them a molten calf and have worshipped it. And they have sanctified thereunto and said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which have brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said unto Moses, I've seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore, let me alone that, I, that my wrath may wax hot against them, and that I may consume them, and I will make of thee a great nation. And I'd like to note here what God told Moses here. He said, I'd make of thee, thee yes. I'd make of thee a great nation. Um, and Moses didn't take advantage of that. He could have. He could have said, yeah, this is great. I'll, uh, you know, God, get rid of these people. They're just been such a pain. And, and we'll start over again. And we'll do it right. But he didn't. That was verse 10. And 11 says, And Moses besought the Lord his God and said, Lord, why doth thy wrath wax hot against thy people? The intercessor Moses, which thou hast brought forth out of the land of Egypt, with a great power, with a mighty hand. Wherefore should the Egyptians speak and say, For mischief did he bring them out, to slay them in the mountains, and consume them from the face of the earth. Turn from thy fierce wrath, and repent of this evil against thy people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, thy servants, to whom thou swearest by thine own self, and saith unto them, I will multiply your seed as the stars of heaven, and this land that I have spoken of will I give unto your seed, and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord repented of the evil which he thought to do unto his people. And then we have Moses going back down and dealing with the children of Israel. And then I just, you know, I look at that intercession there of, of Moses talking to God, and it, it, it strikes me. Um, you know, he's finding his people turned away from him, from God, and he goes back down there. He, had, he was truly a man that the Israelites could look up to. They had every reason to look up to, to admire, and to be thankful for as their leader, their father. So then I'd like to look on into verse 7 through 12 of Hebrews, move back there again. says, therefore, this Holy Spirit says, today, if you will hear his voice. And so he's talking to us now. If you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. In the day of trial, 
in the wilderness, where your fathers tested me, tried me, and saw my works 40 years. Therefore I was angry with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways. So I swear in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you a heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. And I believe that a heart of unbelief is never so far away as we like to believe. For the Jews there, it was only 39 days. Um, for us, how long is it? How long does it take for us to develop a heart of unbelief? Moses interceded for the children of Israel. God did punish the children of Israel. Moses was, was a servant of that punishment or part of ministering that punishment. But, you know, these people hardened their hearts quickly. They resorted to tossing in their gold for a golden calf. They changed their allegiance from following the pillar of fire to following this handmade thing. And how often do we find our allegiance going away, following the work of our hands, following our own creation instead of our creator, following the house instead of the builder of the house. They call this calf their savior. You know how ridiculous. This pillar of fire had been leading them. They had followed it. It told them when to go and when to stop. And they, you know, they say, you know, this calf is our savior. That pillar of fire was dynamic. It was alive. Moses was dynamic and alive. And the pillar of fire, I don't believe, had left the congregation there. You know, Moses was up in the mountain, but I, I think the pillar of fire was still that cloud of fire. And yet they turned that way. And the other provocation, or the greatest provocation, they rejected God's promise and his will to enter into Canaan. This there are more provocations, but I believe this is the great provocation here. And that's in, found in Numbers 14.2. And uh, let's turn there just for reference. Numbers 14, and maybe I'll start in, in 13 and just kind of look at some of these verses here. 13 verse 27. The spies returning from looking at the land of Canaan. And uh, this is their report. They came to Moses and to Aaron in the congregation. They brought back word. All 12 spies, these 12 spies went out. They came back. They came with uh, fruits from the land like Moses had told them to bring. And they say in verse 27, We came into the land whither thou sentest us, and surely it flowed with milk and honey, and this is the fruit of it. Nevertheless, the people be strong that dwell in that land, and the cities are walled and very great. And moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. And the Anakites dwell in the land of the south, and the Hittites, and the Jebusites, and they go on. But these children of Anak really worried the children of Israel. There is thought that the children of Anak would go back to the sons of their Rephilim. I'm not sure if I pronounced that right. But these giants that we read about even in, in, the, uh, in Genesis. And that maybe Goliath and his brothers were of the sons of Anak, big, tall men, maybe nine feet tall. Um, it says they were grasshoppers in their sight. And so then in, verse, in chapter 14, the congregation lifted up their voice and they cried and the people wept that night. So now they had been en route to Egypt, I mean from Egypt to, to Canaan, I suppose probably around 12 months to 14 months, that's that's just kind of a mental calculation that I'd made, and someone may know much better. Um, 
So, but regardless, they could have been into Canaan very shortly after having departed from, from uh, Egypt. Um, let's say a year's journey there. It wouldn't have been but so long. And they, they lifted up their, the people lifted up their voice, they wept at night. And they murmured against Moses in verse 2 and against Aaron. And the whole congregation said to them, Would to God that we had died in the land of Egypt. And wherefore hath the Lord brought us into this land to fall by the sword, that our wives and our children should be a prey? Were it not better for us to return into Egypt? And they said one to another, Let us make a captain, let us return into Egypt. Let's go back there again. Let's turn this whole mess around. And let's go all the way back to Egypt. And in their minds, they're going to, you know, go back there. And, and somehow Pharaoh's going to take them back in. And uh, I don't know what all they were thinking, but they'd get their houses back. And they would, you know, go back into slavery. And, and you know, I don't know what all these folks were thinking. But, you know, really ridiculous. I'm sure that Pharaoh at this point uh, wouldn't have been real happy to see the whole multitude of Israel come back. Egypt. I, I don't think so. That was on their side. But then the side, the other side was a, of it was is their rebellion against God and against Moses. They saw these children of Anak. And it says Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel. And Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, which were with them that searched the land, rent their clothes. And they spake and to all the company. They tried to persuade this company of Israel, Israelites to, to not do this. He said, if the Lord delight in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which floweth with milk and honey. If he delight in us, only rebel not against the Lord. Neither fear ye the people of the land. For they are bred for us. Their defense is departed from them, and the Lord is with them, with us. Fear them not. And let's see what the congregation says there in verse 10. But all the congregation bade stone them with stones. And it seems like God intervenes here to save Moses and Aaron and, and Joshua and Caleb. And, he, and uh, it says, The glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of the congregation before all the children of Israel. And the Lord again says to Moses, How long will this people provoke me? How long will it be ere they believe me? For all the signs which I showed them, I will smite them with the pestilence and disinherit them and will make of thee a greater nation and a mightier nation than they. Again, he tells Moses, here's your choice. I can get rid of this whole people, this people that's trying to kill you, this people that's rebelled, this people that has been stubborn, this people you've worked so hard with for so long. I can just destroy them and start over again with you. And don't you think by this time a lesser man would have said, God, go ahead and do it. Don't you think? You know, after all, Moses had been through with this people. And Moses again intercedes for them in verse 13. He tells the Lord about the Egyptians. What are they going to say? What will they say if you go and destroy this whole people? You brought them out to the wilderness to destroy them. And they will tell it to the inhabitants of the land. We'll become a stench. And uh, he talks about the cloud that was before them. He says, Lord, you can't do this. He talks to the Lord and says, for your interest, you can't do this or don't do this. I, in verse 17, he says, I beseech thee, let the power of my Lord be great according as thou hast spoken, saying, the Lord is long-suffering. He points the, to the mercies of the Lord. And of great mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgressions, and by no means clearing, clearing of the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation. In verse 19, pardon, I beseech thee, the iniquity of this people, according unto the greatness of thy mercy, as thou hast forgiven this people from Egypt even until now. And the Lord heard Moses. He says, I have pardoned them. I have pardoned according to thy word. It was Moses' word that God was listening to. But truly as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. The second time that Moses really interceded, and, and many more times, this is not just the second, but this is a very major time the Lord 
that Moses really interceded for the children of Israel. And for that, what did Moses get? Forty more years of wandering around with the children of Israel in the wilderness. Isn't that wonderful? You know, what did he get for that? And yet, I see that and I see that as a type of Christ. You know, Christ stays with us even through our, our times of making bad decisions. He suffers with us. He's there. We get ourselves into bad places, bad scrapes. The Lord doesn't leave us. He intercedes for us. He works with us. And I believe this time in the wilderness for 40 more years, the Lord wasn't, uh, Moses wasn't out there just telling them, you stupid people, look what you made me do. I'm, I'm out here in the wilderness with you in this sand, you know, in this desert, and not being able to eat of the good fruits of the land of Canaan because of you. No, I don't think he was doing that. I think Moses was teaching, was training, was shaping in a godly fashion the children of Israel for the time when they'd go into Canaan. But can we blame God for having been prepared to destroy those children? He, I believe he still could have done that. He could have destroyed those children and still kept his promise to Abraham because Moses was of the seed of Abraham. Now, there's two views of Moses that I see floating around in society today. The first view, the correct view, is that Moses, of, of Moses, that people know of Moses, is he was the, and this reflects our knowledge and our view of God, uh, that Moses was a righteous leader who suffered with the children of Israel and partook of their wandering in spite of his own righteousness. He was a great leader of Israel. But I've heard the other view, and this is a intellectual view, skeptical view, and it's basically summed up in this. Moses, the guy who lost his map and led 2.5 million people around the desert for 40 years. You know, what a difference there. Um, Moses wasn't that man. He didn't lose his map. He wasn't in the desert because of his own sin. He was in the desert because he suffered with the children of Israel uh, instead of enjoying Egypt and what he could have enjoyed there. And so remember, this whole emphasis of this message is about that Christ is greater than Moses. But Christ also had to convey to the children of Israel that he is greater than Moses. And, you know, that wasn't an easy thing for them to accept because Moses was a great man. Well, Hebrews 3.13, I'd like to move on. But exhort one another daily what is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. Well, it is said, today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who, having heard, rebelled? Indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt led by Moses? Now with whom was he angry forty years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey? See then, we, so we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. And this is where I think the tie-in with communion takes place and with our considering Jesus takes place. Encourage one another daily so you won't become calloused. And these are my words, paraphrasing verse 13, by your surrounding society. Our society is, the quote that comes to my mind, a phrase that comes to my mind, is going to hell in a handbasket, it seems like. And I'm not saying that lightly. You know, we've, as a society, rejected God. We've rejected his, 
him as the author and the creator of us, of our universe. And now people are rejecting their own identities that God has given them, their own genders, saying that somehow they can concoct, if they believe something different in their mind, it will be different. And I don't need to go into all of this. <clears throat> We're focusing on Christ this morning, so don't go there. But I think it goes to show that we're living in perilous times. We're living in a time when it seems like we're being pressed, we're being attacked, we're being trying to be convinced to be demoralized, to made in something much lesser than the image of God. And it's a huge chasm. It's, I, I call it the huge chasm of unbelief. And when that happens, it can all sound kumbaya-ish, all peace and love with everyone. But when that happens, it opens the doors for great atrocities. Um, and I think we're going to see them in years to come, just like we saw it in, in uh, Stalin's day and in Hitler's uh, Germany. And in the Chinese, their purges. We shouldn't become calloused by the pressing in of our, our surrounding society. We need to exhort each other daily and not be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Verse 14, we become partakers of Christ. We're brought into communion with Christ. If, there's a word there, it's if, if we continue steadfast. You know, our relationship with Christ deepens as we walk faithfully. And the eternal fullness of partaking or communion with Christ can only be realized if we hold faithful to the end, either our death or Christ's second coming. In 15 through 18, the, the writer quotes Psalm 95. If you want to hear the voice of God, don't harden your hearts. Don't be unbelieving. Don't go about electing another captain or a golden calf to take you back to Egypt. Don't just let yourself drift, because if you do, um, you'll drift where you don't want to go. Live in obedience to the word and the direction of the Holy Spirit. Don't harden your hearts. Don't let them be hardened. It's more... It's more then don't harden. It's more than a willful, I believe, you know, me going out and deciding to harden my heart. It's more than that. It's more about not letting them become hardened, keeping that relationship with God open and with my fellow man open, exhorting one another. You know, the Israelites, they experienced... A deliverance, a great deliverance from Egypt. One that the Egyptians talked about, one that the surrounding countries talked about. Um, Moses referred to that. But that didn't bring them into the promised land. That didn't bring them to their inheritance. They were required to take an ongoing walk of faith, of perseverance and obedience to what God expected of them. To follow the cloud blindly, even through the Red Sea. To follow the cloud blindly, even when they didn't know where it was taking them. And sometimes we're required to do the same. And we're a people of reason. If there's ever a day of reason, it's today, the information age. We have all this information, all this reason about us. And we can go anywhere. You can Google anything I say this morning and check it for accuracy. And it, was not gonna, it may or may not tell you the truth. But... Uh, you know, that's the kind of people we've become. And we have to learn to walk in blind faith sometimes. Just follow the pillar, follow the word, even when it doesn't seem to make sense. Hold fast. Going back again to Hebrews 3, verse 1. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider, consider, the apostle and the high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him who appointed him as Moses also was faithful in all his house. Moses was great. His name 
is held with esteem and honor throughout the Bible. And it's clear that Jesus thought highly of Moses as well. The problem that wasn't with Moses here, the problem was that the Jews had come to see Moses as the message, as the message instead of the message bearer. You know, Jesus is the message. Jesus is the word. John 6, 32. Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not the bread from heaven, like I referred to earlier, but the Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he, speaking of Jesus, which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. For the one who has been counted of, of, of worthy of more glory than Moses, for this one, inasmuch as he who built the house has more honor than the house. And I would like to say this morning, enlarge on that, Jesus is the owner of the house. He's the architect and he's the builder. Other people fit in. Moses fit in. We're called to fit in to the building of his house. For every house is built by someone, but he who built all things is God. And Moses indeed was faithful in all his house. It says that Christ, as son over his own house, whose house, in verse 6, we are, if we hold fast the confidence and rejoicing of the hope, firm to the end. If we hold fast the confidence and rejoicing of the hope, firm to the end. And that speaks to me. I don't know about the rest of you, but it's easier for me to start a project than to finish it. And that's, I believe, how the Christian life is. It's much easier to start it than it is to finish it. Especially when you get to the end of the project and the details and try to bring it all together and then does it work? That's so important. You know, God's asking us to work his project in our lives. He's asking us to work with him and to bring his project together in our lives and those around us and whatever he has for us bring this together to the end, to be faithful, have confidence. And I'd like to look at Jesus a bit here. In Hebrews 1.1, I'm just so impressed with this scripture. Um, Hebrews 1, 1, 1 through 3. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets, one of these being Moses, as in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. I love verse 3. Who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down by the right hand of the majesty on high. And that sitting down means he's fulfilled and he's, his place is beside the Father, beside God. The one who created all things, including his messenger Moses, the great messenger. <coughs> the one who after he had by himself, through his wounded body and his shed blood, taken away our sins, took his rightful position at the right hand of God the Father. And there are a few titles of Jesus that I would like to read here just to, just as a, a theme of adoration. Titles of Jesus running through Hebrews. Son of God, heir of all things, brightness of God's glory, express image of God's person, superior to the angels, crowned with glory and honor, captain of salvation, merciful and faithful high priest, Apostle and high priest, faithful son over God's house, priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, anchor of the soul, surety of a better testament, permanent priest, holy, blameless, pure, one seated in heaven. Moses was a great man. You read a very little that he did wrong. But there were a few, or at least one incident, that he wasn't completely pure. But Christ was holy, blameless, pure. One seated in heaven, mediator of the new covenant, mediator of a new testament. He that shall come, author and finisher of our faith, 
same yesterday, today, and forever, great shepherd of the sheep. And this is Jesus. This is the one we're serving here this morning. And what should be our response to his sacrifice? The greatest sacrifice given by, the greatest sacrifice given by anyone. I'd like to look at 1 Corinthians 11 in response to this. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23, and Paul speaking here, For I received from Christ which, that which I also delivered to you, that Jesus, the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as oft as you drink of it in remembrance of me. For as oft as you drink this, eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. To take this without remembering Christ, to take it without looking at his sacrifice without feeling it, um, just to take it lightly, is a, is a guilt-worthy thing. Let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of, his, eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Our response is remembrance. Worthiness, not that we are self-made, but that the faith of Christ is working, obedience, in our lives. And uh, think back to Brother Leon's message. Working the obedience to love our God with all our heart, soul, and mind. And to love our neighbor as ourselves. This fulfills those commandments. The Ten Commandments. Fulfills the law. Now I believe Christian communion should be a way of life for us, not simply a bi-yearly event. Or, you know, if we'd be in another denomination, not a quarterly event or a weekly event. It should be a way of life. You know, we will certainly grow weak and be like the rebels that wandered around in the desert if we neglect to honor God in thankful remembrance and thankful um, with thankful love. I believe that communion is our focus on Christ, our collective focus on Christ, exhorting one another. And that talks about the body and the gifts of the body coming together. Like it talks about in 1 Corinthians, I believe it's 12, coming together to edify one another, exhorting one another. That's communion. Are interceding for each other, like Moses did. You know, Moses, like it was pointed out, he could have dropped the ball, so to speak. He could have said, God, you know, just go ahead and, and these people are terrible. Just go ahead and, you know, drop everything with them and, and we'll start over again. I'm, I'm good with that. But no, they interceded. He interceded for them. We need to intercede for each other. We need to pray for each other. We need to encourage each other, exhort each other. And then we need to also come together and collectively remember, like Christ asked us to do, to his sacrifice for us, his broken body, his shed blood, that gives us entrance into the sanctuary or into the presence of God. This morning as we share this time together, I trust that we'll consider Jesus and we'll adore him for what he's done for us and for, and for, for knowing that he's so great, um, not so great among the great, but he is the great I am. And he's the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. And we're here 
together, communing with each other and with him because we're his body. And that blesses me and let's continue adoring him. When Peter questions, why are you washing my feet? And Jesus says this, what I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. Uh, let's, let's sit on that a little bit. Let's go back to verse 1 and read the passage. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. And the supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he was come from God and went to God, he rises from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Then cometh he to Simon Peter. Peter saith unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. Peter saith unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Simon Peter saith unto him, Lord, not only my feet, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus saith unto him, He that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit, and ye are clean, but not all. For he knew who should betray him. Therefore said he, ye are not all clean. So after he had washed their feet and had taken his garments and had sat down again, he said unto them, Know ye what I have done to you? Ye call me Master and Lord, and ye say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example, that ye should do as I have done to you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, The servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. If we know these things, happy are ye if ye do them. Oh, greater, greater, you know, as human beings, we, we value things as greater and lesser. Uh, comes very natural for us. And it came very natural for Jesus' disciples. I think this is probably the first time in the life of these disciples that someone obviously greater than them had washed their feet. And it, it was uncomfortable, obviously for Peter. This had never happened before, and it wasn't the way it was supposed to work. And, and he knew that. And Jesus tells Peter, Peter, you need to obey. You need to submit and understanding will follow. How many times do I get it backward? I tell Jesus, wait a minute, I wanna understand this before I do it. I wanna understand what's going on here before I'm ready to commit, before I'm ready to submit and obey. Jesus tells Peter, you don't understand what's going on here, but, but you will, you will later. Submit to what I want to do for you, Peter. Obey me, Peter, and understanding will follow. 
that blessed my heart because so many times I get that backwards. This is fundamental to, to the Christian walk. It's fundamental to brotherhood relationships. No person is too great or too high. No job is too low. I probably shared this, this uh, uh, memory before. Uh, when I went to SMBI, I was 21, I think. And uh, Harry Brenneman was the administrator there. The school was quite small at that time, very primitive. We washed every dish, every spoon, every fork by hand. Now they have these machines that do it and all. But it, it impressed me after every supper, almost without fail, Harry Brenneman, the administrator of the school, the, the top man on campus, would get up from the supper table, he'd walk out into the kitchen, he went to this, this big triple stainless steel sink and stacked up all these dirty dishes and got a little trickle going out of the faucet and he got a little scrub brush and he'd scrub every plate and then pass it to whoever's washing dishes that evening. He'd pick up the next plate put it under the trickle, scrub it, and pass it on. Why was he doing that? Nobody ever asked him to do that. Was that his responsibility? He was teaching us, no job is too small. No job is too small. That blessed, blessed my heart many times. Jesus says here, there's happiness, there's blessing for us when we obey what we have been taught. The songwriter maybe got the phrase from this passage, I don't know. There's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. There's happiness promised there. This is a principle, a basic principle that we need to, to latch on to. It makes pastors better pastors. It makes fathers better fathers. It makes mothers better mothers. It makes children better children. When we catch this principle, no one's too high, no job is too low. Young men here, and, and we have a nice bunch of them, uh, capture this principle it will prepare you to be a better husband someday if God has that in mind for you. At our house, um, we probably don't show appreciation as much as we should, but I have this little phrase that my children all know. When I see a quality coming out in their life, I tell them, that's making you more marriageable. Uh, it's something that will serve you well later in life. That's a character quality that's good, and it will make you a better husband, a better wife. This makes better brothers and sisters in the body of Christ, better saints, so that we too can be blessed and encouraged. So let's think about these things as we wash each other's feet, as we go throughout this week, in the coming weeks and months, let's remember, no one's too high, no job is too low. And we don't have to understand it all. We have to obey, and understanding follows. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, we thank you so much for your excellent example here with your disciples just a very short time before you left them and went back to your heavenly Father. We thank you, Jesus, for your selfless acts of love, for the principles that you've taught us that we catch on to way too slow. We pray that you would guide us through these next minutes here as we reflect on your, your humility and 
how we as your followers must learn from you. Even though we don't understand it all, help us to trust and obey and experience that happiness and blessing that you have promised. Bless us as we go from this place, as we live our lives, as we relate to one another, that we would never see ourselves as too high or see a job that's too low, but we would be found faithful. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.